Good morning, Gospel Jam family, and those of you online, good morning as well. I'm often there in the, in the screen, behind the screen at my house, but it's nice to be with you in person. It's so good to be there. I look at this picture up here, and I'm looking at this testament, testament of what these, what these Israelite slaves that we've been talking about, what they created, what they made, what their slavery still, you know, is present on the earth still. And I thought, wow, that is really remarkable. Seven wonders of the world. But anyway, as I start to prepare a sermon, um, I do like to entertain myself uh, a little bit, um, just in my mind, uh, it, the setting and the reading, break it up a little bit. And so people that I care about are really into um, the Avengers. I don't know, and the Marvel movies. I don't know if any of you watch like the Marvel movies. So people I care about do that. Usually those are a little intense for me. Like I like my um, conflict to happen in like a good verbal sparring and not necessarily robots exploding. But I've been keeping up and I have somebody's login information for Disney Plus. I don't know if anybody has that. And there's this thing somebody directed me to, there's timeline. So you can watch all these Marvel movies in order. So I like saw a couple like Captain America out of order, Wonder Woman, those kind of things. But here's what I'm thinking. Like you see all these guys back here. Now I'm kind of working through each one of their stories. So I'm doing Bible study right to prepare for a sermon for a story and a passage that I'm going to um, uh, teach today. But I keep thinking like each one of these Bible characters is like one of these Avengers that's that's got its own series of movies. So I entertain myself thinking like, like Abraham would be like um, the father of the covenant, you know, and he'd be standing like Hulk or something like that. And you know, Noah, the guardian of the image. And, you know, he'd be standing and looking off with his ark behind him. And, you know, Moses would be like the deliverer of the nation. And Joshua would be the conqueror of the land. And David would be shepherd, warrior, poet, king, mess of a man, you know, awesome. You know, I just kind of wrote like, who's David? You know, he doesn't have one thing. He's got everything. So I was just kind of entertaining myself. But each one of these characters, just like, like characters in the Bible, has their own series of movies. And you really get into the story. But in those Avenger movies, they all work together as part of one big story. So Today, we're dropped for the last sermon series in kind of like the Moses Avenger story, right? That's kind of where we're at. And um, so if we were to t t title today's movie, if it were an Avenger Marvel movie, we would probably call it Moses and the Bloody Plague, or, or we would call it Moses and the Clash of Nations, because we know it's Egypt versus Israel, and, and it's coming to this epic climax, and we've studied through in the, in the recap, we've seen how these people have been oppressed in slavery, and, and God's people um, uh, were Pharaoh, who considered himself deity, starts killing all the Israelite babies. And um, so there's this tragedy and this oppression that's happening over time. And then Moses is like saved. He's one of the babies that, that is saved by the Israelites, but is raised in an Egyptian court. But then he has this big moral flaw and failure. And that reminds me of these guys too. They all have like their chink in their armor, their weakness. And so here's, 
Here's Moses, and he's going through this time in his life where everything falls apart. And so we watch him get raised up for 40 years in the wilderness as a sheep herder in Midian, getting raised up and trained to become the deliverer. And then he comes back into the scene, and Anna shared with us last week about how, you know, when Moses comes back, he's the voice of God, and he'd met God and been prepared and commissioned and sent by God to do this deliverance job for the Israelites, all these oppressed people. And there's something in us that just resonates against the good versus evil and Moses, come and get him and God's going to win. And what happens, we find last week, is, is the battle starts to mount. And the battle between these Pharaoh deity and this one true God deity is coming to a head. And it comes to a head through all of these plagues, water turning to blood, an overabundance of frogs that then die and stink, and then lice and flies and livestock um, dying and getting diseases, and then boils, and then hail and complete destruction of this agrarian landscape through this hail, and then finally locusts to clean up whatever was left of the land, and then finally darkness. And so you come in off of that, and you can just feel the intensity of the moment, that this land, something has got to give. Something's going to break in this big tension between Egypt and Israel. And so today, we're going to read through the plague of death. So I didn't want to welcome you to, welcome to Plague of Death Sunday. I didn't think that that was a good way to market it. So, you know, Plague of Death Sunday, we have Pentecost Sunday, Easter Sunday. Welcome to Plague of Death Sunday. But honestly, when we come to this moment, it is one of the most intense, layered, meaningful passages for our whole faith, and we're going to try and walk that out today and live in this moment. So before we read, I'm imagining, so these, um, these, um, these uh, 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 Avengers, right, they're actually actors, I'm sorry, they're real people that live in real life, and when they're coming to an Avenger movie, they would all get a script that they're going to read, and they would go and do a table reading. So they would sit down with this script in their plain clothes, looking like humans, and the director would sit off to the side, and oh, now we're going to do this, and now we're going to do that, and we're going to have a read-through, and everybody just kind of reads through to get the plot and everything else like that. It would be sort of interesting to be like a fly on the wall and hear that, but they're not like acting or living the words. There's no CGI. There's no big effects in everything. They're just reading it. And when I read through scripture, sometimes it feels like that table reading to me. It's a little like, like bland. Yeah, it just doesn't have the excitement necessarily of watching a movie and seeing all of those plays. So as I read through this passage, I'm going to need you to use your imagination to insert the, all the CGI, 
to insert what it would be the intensity of this moment of, okay, this is the 10th plague, and this is what's going to happen, and this is how it's going to go. So I need you to do that in your imagination as I read, because it will kind of sound like a table reading when I'm going through it. So we have to turn that on. And before we read, we need to remind ourselves who the real enemy is who the battle is between, because we're going to watch this epic battle or read through this epic battle, the narrative portions, and we need to remember who the enemy is. So it's God and Moses, right, against Pharaoh, but it's not Pharaoh. We learn from other places in Scripture in Ephesians 6 that we battle not against flesh and blood. We're not battling humans, and that's true of Moses as well. We're battling against powers and spiritual forces of evil and everything that sets itself up against God as deity. So every single plague, nine, was a BB gun of God to one of the Egyptian gods. Pew, pew, pew. Take out the god of locusts, take out the god of this, take out the god of that. And each one was dismantling. And the whole purpose of the plagues, even this one, is so that Egypt, Pharaoh, and the Israelites will know who God is, the one true God, the powerful God. And we have to remember when we read biblical stories and there are enemies and people inhabited by evil, that it is not them. They are image bearers, created beings, loved by God. And all the way through, God was revealing himself to Pharaoh as the one true God and giving opportunity to all of these human beings. So I just want us to read this, and we don't want to say, Moses, yay, Pharaoh, boo. But we need to see the the meta battle, the epic battle, the battle between good and evil, the battle between the one true God and the God's little g of this earth. Is that good? Are you tracking with me? So in 1 Peter, another principle, be, be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring look, lion looking for someone to devour. That is a spiritual principle that also exists. So we battle not against flesh and blood. We're battling spiritual forces, and the devil's looking for people to devour, to kill. So John 10.10 says, The thief, Satan, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, But I have come that they may have life. So Jesus is setting himself up as the devil, Satan, spiritual forces. They are the principalities and power of death and evil. And Jesus says, I am the one true God, and I am the king of life. And so this is the epic battle that's playing out all throughout history. So so I want you to, for, for us in gospel tab lang, language, we might equate and say, Egypt is like empire. Later on, we could say Babylon is like empire. And today we talk about empire. And we might, like Joel, Pastor Joel would say, talk about smaller tribes of, you know, this class of people, that class of people, and how they war. But in actuality, it's anything that is setting itself up against the one true God. 
That's where the battle is. All right, so we're going to also listen for how is it defeated, because we need to talk through that as well. How is the battle won? So here we go. Exodus, this is going to be excerpts. I pulled out the narrative, so I'll read the excerpts to for you. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and Egypt, and after that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that the men and the women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord said. About midnight, I will go through Egypt, and every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. And there will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. And then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel, and he said to them, Go at once, select the animals for your family, and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood basin, and put some on the top and both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out the door of your house until morning. And when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of your doorframes, and he will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there has not been a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Get up! Leave my people, you and the Israelites, go. Worship God, the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herd, and as, he, and as you have said, and go. Also, bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we'll all die. So the Israelites took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it out on their shoulders, kneading troughs wrapped in cloth. And the Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and clothing. And the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians." All the Israelites did just what the Lord commanded, Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. The word of the Lord, right? Go God. 
That is the power right there. That is the victory. But as I'm reading through this, and actually the, the passage was much longer. That was just an excerpt. I'm making observations about deliverance. This is the deliverance day from, from Egypt into uh, their own nation. This is the pinnacle moment. It's the battle. So I'm thinking about deliverance. And what comes to mind is that deliverance is a movement. Things are happening. That deliverance is a moment. It was on this night. And that deliverance is a monument. It keeps going on. So we're going to keep going over those three things. Deliverance is a movement. Deliverance is a moment. And deliverance is a monument. So as I strap on my sandals, I jump into this story. I'm stressed out. You know, I, I just come at it from my American modern, like, womanness, and I'm thinking I'm probably grieving over dead babies that were killed at some point in my life. I, I'm, I'm, I realize I'm reading my context into it, but even as I see, like, the land is destroyed, um, there are people that I know that are gone. Uh, I, I mean, I, my my husband and myself were oppressed in slavery. We're working for somebody else all day. So work's not going well. Home's not going well. I'm carrying the burden of grief. Um, I have, you know, strained relationships with the Egyptians that I come in contact with because I'm an Israeli. So I just see the stress of what these people are going through that has become more stressful after these nine plagues. So I can see that, and, and it's reflected in Exodus 3, 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. So I think a human experience is misery, and they were in misery. And I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering so I have come down to rescue them for the land of the Egyptians and bring them up out and into a land that is good and spacious and flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. He saw, he heard, he was concerned. And this wasn't the day before this happened. This was years and years and years before so I'm trying to think in my own experience, maybe you can relate to this, what something similar would be like where there was a plague and economic destruction. Hmm, I remember last year sometime where we had a global pandemic and this, this big economic stress on the world, and I know the stress that I've felt. We call it in some circles secondary trauma. It's like... I, I don't know that I ever got COVID. I don't think I got sick. Um, and my job, although I had time off, I, I was paid for that time off, more or less. And so I had time off. But I remember I worked for American Airlines, large, largest airline in the world. And I was landing in Pittsburgh. And as I was landing, um, Across the runway, we started to see plane after plane after plane after plane after plane lined up on the tarmac. And I'm telling you, in that moment, I felt secondary stress. Like, this is my employer. All of these airplanes were working and operating a week ago. All of this was in motion. I'm looking at this, and I'm seeing economic devastation. And my mom taught me to just say, are you all right right now? Are you okay? 
And I'm like, yes, actually, I am okay. Because a lot of times the things that I'm stressed about are things that might happen in the future or that did happen in the past. But if I bring it into the moment, say, are you well right now? It's like, oh, I am well. I am well right now. I am okay right now. So, But I do resonate with the fear of something happening and the everything being tentative around me. And I'm just imagining that's exactly what Israelites are going through. They know that things are coming to a head and they're living in this moment. So we all have this, this secondary trauma as humans that can happen when everything's going around, even though it wasn't happening to the Israelites, it was happening to the plagues were happening to the, the Egyptians. It was affecting everything. So Here's the plan. God says to Moses, Moses says to the people, go kill a lamb and put the blood on your doorposts, on the side in your doorpost. If you've been in church a while, you've heard the story, you read through it, kill a lamb, do that kind of thing. But here I'm starting to do the math. I'm thinking there's two million people. Moses comes and tells two million people in groups of no more than 10, it says in other places, go kill a lamb of a people who are oppressed and miserable and grieving and having secondary stress. Go take your best lamb, kill it, and put blood on your doorposts. And they did it, but that's 200,000 lambs they immediately had to go out and slaughter and, and do a burnt sacrifice for. And I'm trying to think, wow, I wonder if that was hard to make a sacrifice in that moment for them. But here's what God does, and this is why deliverance is a movement. God placed in their culture this animal sacrifice thing way, 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 way back. So in Genesis 3.21, the Lord made garments for Adam and Eve and clothed them. So after, you know, you see all those pictures of fig leaves of Adam and Eve after their sin and they're ashamed and they make fig leaves. Well, the Lord made an animal sacrifice and clothed them with garments to cover their shame. The same clothed and cover here is the word atonement for our Bible nerds. It is covering their shame of their sin. So God sets up from the very beginning and places in Adam and Eve's culture that the thing that covers shame is this animal sacrifice. Going further, another place in Scripture, Job is kind of a contemporary of the Genesis folk. He's an ancient. And Job would, early in the morning, go out and sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking perhaps one of my children has sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular custom. So we're seeing that somewhere between Adam and Eve and through the Job story, he's offering a, a sacrifice, and this is a covering for sin and shame. But also, Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking every kind of clean um, bird and animal. He offered burnt offerings to the altar, and this was pleasing to the Lord, and God said it in his heart and made a covenant with Noah. And, and God and Noah were in a relationship because of this burnt sacrifice. So there's something about sacrificing animals that God put into history from the very beginning that covers sin and atones for sin, and it also creates a relationship between the people and God. 
for us as moderns, we, we don't have this practice, so we've gotten kind of far away from this in our culture, so we don't really understand, but we need to deposit ourselves and get to where the Israelites got to on this really intense night. So then there's also, in Genesis 15, Abram makes a covenant with God by sacrificing animals. So this is like we sign a contract, right? You sign your name on the bottom of the contract. Part of the signing of the contract for them in the ancient culture was to sacrifice these animals and walk through it and say, may it be to me as these animals um, if I don't keep this covenant with you. So animal sacrifice for them, the blood would atone for sin that would cover their sin. It would establish a relationship with God, a covenant affectionate, legal, consequential relationship with God. And it was also worship. And we learned in worship that it's like telling God what he's worth. I am going to sacrifice these animals because you are worth more to me than these animals. And that was the culture that was established. So long before God ever said, go out 200,000 sheep in one night and slaughter those and put the blood. The ancient culture, they knew that this was how their sin was covered. It's how they had a covenant relationship with God. And it's also how they worshiped God and they showed him deference that they were his people and he was their God. So when God said to do this, they did it. So there's something in us, in Leviticus it says, for the life of the thing is in its blood and I have given it to you on the altar to make an atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So God has already put in there, it is blood that makes atonement. So there's a connection. And in Hebrews it says, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So God has placed this in their culture, and they understand it. So when they killed these sheep, they knew that. And there's something in us. We don't kill sheep. We don't do that. But there's something in us that knows that deliverance requires payment. And here's what happened to me. I went to a friend's house. We went out on their back deck, and um, the weather was kind of dicey, but it was nice enough we were going to eat outside and not inside. So somebody turned on the heater, and then the wife told me, go out and, like, put the umbrella up so we'd be covered in case it, it started to rain. So I walked out, and, you know, there's a button turning the little handle for the umbrella to go up. Well, the umbrella went up into the heater, which is one of those gas heaters up there, and caught fire. And the, the guy, the husband, kind of runs out, the umbrella's on fire, the umbrella's on fire, and he grabs it out of the table and throws it into the yard, and we've got this torched umbrella going up like, like that. I'm just, you know, I was like, oh, my goodness, I, like, burned your umbrella down. You know, we ate dinner, we laughed about it. It was not that big a deal. It was. I felt terrible. But I'm, um, but there... In that moment, it's like, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. You know, deliver me from this sin of burning down your, your umbrella, right? And so, you know, he's like, no, 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 no. It's like my fault, too, because I turned on the heater, and you didn't know that was on, and you didn't know it was so close. And so I turned on the heater. I'm like, yeah, but I, I lit the thing on fire. He goes, yeah, yeah, I know. And so we, for, we forgive each other, right? We forgive each other like, yep, you did. Um, but there's still a cost. Somebody's got to buy a new umbrella. The umbrella's ruined. 
right? And there's something in us, even interracial, interracial, interpersonally, when there is something broken between you and me, we know there's a cost. Somebody's got to pay a cost for this. And some things, sometimes those things are intangible. It's like, who's going to pay for this? Who's going to buy this? So um, even though we don't kill sheep, we know that deliverance has a cost. And God was teaching the people way back then that your deliverance has a cost. There's a cost. So deliverance is a movement. God started all the way back from Adam and Eve, and he was, you know, raising up Moses, and he was putting animal sacrifice, and sin has a cost, and atoning for sin. But deliverance is also a moment. It happened on this night. Scripture said on this night they were delivered from Egypt into the promised land. So as I imagine this in our modern culture, I have seen like news stories like when a reporter in the Middle East gets captured by the Taliban and maybe they're imprisoned and tortured and maybe they send videos out saying, here I am, I'm still alive, I'm, I'm in, in captivity, you know, and there's some kind of ransom or something for them. So this person who gets captured by the Taliban needs to be delivered. And so, so often, you know, we'll have special forces, and if we're Americans, we kind of have a covenant relationship with our government, right? We're like, come on, special forces, come and deliver me from this evil, from this captivity. And so, on that day, if I'm the reporter, I'm sitting in there, maybe I'm bound, maybe I'm not, I haven't eaten in a while, I'm emaciated, I've been brainwashed, maybe they've done some kind of torture on me and things like that, and in bursts special forces and say, we're here to rescue you. Get in this sack, we're going to throw you over our shoulder, and we're going to carry you out of here. In that moment, I have a choice whether I'm going to go or whether I'm going to stay. And, and the thing that will make me go or stay is my mindset. Do I trust you? Do I know you? Am I going to go with you because we have this covenant relationship? Or am I going to stay in captivity? Now I imagine if I were captured by the Taliban and I were put there, and I were put in a really nice five-star resort with a pool, and I didn't have to work, and I could eat as much as I wanted, and I got to email and text all of my friends and do all of that kind of thing, and somebody burst through and says, get in a sack, we're getting you out of here. I'd be like, I'm, I'm fine, you know, I'm good. I like the people, I like the food, I, you know, I'm good with all this. It's just like, I'm sorry you went to such trouble, but, you know, I'll just stay, thank you very much. Can we just say that sometimes deliverance for us to get in the right mindset takes a bit of discomfort in our current surroundings? You can just have that one. So uh, that is how it's been for me. And the people were crying out in misery, and sometimes my deliverance costs me a little misery for God, for me to know the distinction between the deities and the gods. So there is an invitation and a challenge encounter just a little sidebar i'm just amazed that god 
who is the God of the universe, the one true God who holds molecules and, and the cosmos together, deferred to Pharaoh's earthly authority. He works with Pharaoh's will. Let my people go. I mean, God could just make the decision and say, we're leaving now. Thank you. These are my people. We're done. They're leaving. But in this, I'm amazed that Pharaoh the human gets deference from the one true God in his little God deity complex thing that God actually goes on terms with him and waits for him to tell the people to go. That is an amazing, humble God. That is an amazingly patient God. So there, the deliverance has been a movement of God all the time, but deliverance was the moment. And in this moment of deliverance, don't miss this part, they received everything that they needed in that moment for the journey that was to come, the journey that was in a lifetime. That God said, all y'all Egyptians, ask them for, for the plunder, and then they're going to give it to you. And so the Egyptians, who have now been plagued and grieving and everything bad is happening, are now giving them silver and gold and herds and everything for this Israelite journey out of Egypt. So deliverance is a movement, a moment, and it's also a monument. If you were to read all of 11 and 12, it is like, um, okay, like the Avengers, right? And they do this slow motion roundhouse kick. And during this big, like, you know, this is like the knockout punch, and this leg is swinging out. But during that, they're doing like flash forwards, and it's like taking a really long time, this big kick that's going to take out the enemy. And they're doing these flash forwards. And the flash forwards in this passage are like, oh, and by the way, when you get out of here and you're into the next land, this is how I want you to worship me. That God, while he's giving you instructions, while he's giving them instructions for their deliverance, he's also giving them a vision for the future of what it's going to be like. And he's saying, don't you forget this moment. He says, right now, this moment is going to be a monument to your future. In fact, the clock starts for you on the Passover moment. He says, this will be the first day of your calendar. And every year when you do this Passover feast, this is the way you're going to do it. You're going to eat bitter herbs so that you remember that your time in Egypt was bitter. And you're going to eat unleavened bread because that, that yeast and that bread signified sin. And from the time the people left, they left the sin behind and they went off with unleavened bread because it gets into the whole batch. And so unleavened bread is like holiness. And he's like, you eat unleavened bread. He says, you take this hyssop, which was a cleansing a medicinal herb. He says, you take this hyssop and you, you cut that lamb and you cover your doorpost and you do these things to remember that this lamb's sacrifice got you out of Egypt, that the blood caused death to pass over you. And you will remember, you will remember, you will remember. And so God in this deliverance movement is saying, this deliverance is going to be 
implanted in you as a monument for all people, all times, and you will remember the deliverance of God. And just the eating of the lamb, the eating of the lamb and partaking and being fueled by the lamb's life when they would eat of this feast and be covered by its blood and be sanctified and renew their covenant with God is just amazing to me that God all the way through this narrative would say, and remember, and remember, and remember the day that I delivered you. So deliverance is a movement. Deliverance is a moment. It's a monument. But let's talk about us. So our deliverance, too, when we talk about the Israelites, we're talking about God's people, God's chosen people. You know who God's chosen people are now? It's us. God chooses all of his people. He, he chooses all of us. And God has been working throughout history to have a deliverance movement that is ready for you and me and us right now. And when Jesus came on the scene John the Baptist, they were cousins. They saw each other all the time. But filled with the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist looks at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And because of this monument, this Passover, that they had done year after year, here's John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a Jew who had this monument all the way back to Moses of deliverance and immediately recognizes Jesus. You are the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. In this moment of the Holy Spirit, he says, Jesus is the Lamb. This this whole movement of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, that was just a foreshadowing for all humanity. That was just a foreshadowing for everyone being able to be transported from a kingdom of darkness and death and spiritual evil forces into a kingdom of light and life and truth and joy and provision. So when we sing songs about the blood of Jesus about the Lamb of God, we have to think God has been putting into effect this movement for our deliverance so we would recognize him when he comes. We'll recognize him when he comes into our, in our world. And he's deposited the same thing into our culture so that we would recognize him when he comes. So Jesus is the Lamb of God and there's been a movement, but there's also a deliverance moment for you and I. We cry out. I don't know what kind of plagues you're going through or what kind of effect the kingdom of darkness has had in your life. But all of that is serving so that you will know that God is God and loves you and wants to deliver you from the kingdom of evil into the kingdom of life. He wants to have a moment with you where you encounter him. And do you know what this moment requires? It just requires the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus. Can you imagine in your head, if you're standing in a doorpost, the shape that the blood makes if it's above you and it's on either side? It's the cross of Jesus that the Israelites never knew. 
But as we read this story, we say, what? The blood on the top? The blood on each side? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? That's Jesus. Jesus takes away the sins of the world. Jesus can deliver me from my sins. Jesus can cover my shame. Jesus can help me and and bring me into a relationship with the one true God. Jesus is the one I worship, the Lamb of God. So also, deliverance is our monument. So Jesus did a roundhouse kick to evil, right? And while he was doing a roundhouse kick to evil on the night that he was betrayed, he took into his holy hands the bread, and he took the cup, And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I come. And this is our Passover feast. Do you know Passover means protect from death to stand over to guard? When we take communion together and we eat the bread and we drink the cup and we proclaim Jesus' death and his resurrection... We are standing under the doorpost and we are reminding each other that this deliverance has a monument and we are proclaiming it is the blood of the Lamb that delivers us from our sin and delivers us into a relationship with God and with each other. But deliverance is a lifelong journey. And on this journey, when you've had your deliverance moment, I want to let you know, just as the Israelites got all of that plunder from from Egypt, on the moment that you are delivered from the kingdom of death into the kingdom of life, you have been given everything that you need for the journey of your deliverance. They didn't go from night one deliverance into the promised land. They're going on a lifelong journey through the desert to establish a relationship with God. And spoiler alert, next week at the Red Sea, they're going to have to contend to maintain their deliverance, that the enemy is going to come after them, and they're going to have to battle for their deliverance. So deliverance is a a movement of God. It's been happening since the beginning of history. It is a moment that we are delivered in each one of our lives, and it is a monument that we celebrate and participate in it, and it's a lifelong journey. So deliverance is our mission. This is what we do. We help people encounter Jesus, the Lamb of God who was slain. We affirm that God has always been moving you toward your deliverance and our deliverance. And we set up monuments of deliverance and encounters so that we can shed more and more of the evil and get more and more of the life because we have everything that we need to be fully delivered. And it takes our lifetime to do that. Let me read 1 Corinthians 15, and then the end will come after Jesus has destroyed the dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. So we're still in the middle of the battle right now. We're in the movies. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
So God is, Jesus is subjecting all things under his feet. But then he is going, he's killing evil, and then he will kill death. And that will be the final enemy to go. In Isaiah 25, he says, He swallowed up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away every tear from all faces, and he will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And John in Revelation saw the throne room of God. And John says, And then I saw a lamb looking as it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. Do you realize Jesus is standing as our advocate? He's strong. He's faithful and true. He's coming back on a horse. He's going to kick butt and take names. But he is also pleased to be known as a slain lamb. He is pleased to be famous for his sacrifice for you. And then they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God all the persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth forever. And then I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands and ten thousands and a large and a loud voice. They were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and And all of them were saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Michael's going to come up, but I just want to let you know where you are in the, where are you in that process? Start thinking, start thinking about how God's been moving toward you. Start thinking, have you had your moment of deliverance? Start thinking, do I celebrate God's love? Start thinking about, am I on the journey? And have I celebrated the blood of Christ that's covered all of my sin and shame? Am I on the journey? Am I being delivered into the promised land? Because we're all going together. We're all doing this together. Deliverance is our mission. Amen.